Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. He's good to us. Good times and bad. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to continue walking through this series uh, that I started a few weeks ago, Not of This World. And I just want to say, those of you who were here last week and you, uh, you were welcome to a, a little bit of a unique service. How many of you had seen puppets on a Sunday morning in church before? Raise your hand. Not very many. <laughs> Some have. But that's what it's all about. We have to reach another generation. And I believe that the most important time to reach was to reach people for the Lord is when they're small, when they're kids. I'm going to switch over, Austin. I believe that that's probably the easiest way to reach people is when you reach them at a young age. How many of you came to know the Lord when you were just a child? Came to know the Lord as a child. That, that was my story. And you know what? To say that a child doesn't understand enough, let me tell you something. I was five years old when I gave my heart to Jesus, and guess what? It stuck. I'm just a little beyond five years old now. Not much, but it stuck. I, it's, I know what Jesus did in my life, and I'm staying with it. So I want to thank you for being here last week, and I want to thank you for being here. I'm going to march through the, uh, the book, the epistle of Peter, the letter that Peter wrote. And I want you to just make sure that you understand what Peter has to say. It is one of the most powerful books in the New Testament. And it will transform you if you allow it. It's the Word of God that does not return void to us, but transforms us as we grow in it. So as I said a few weeks ago, this world is not your home. Are you happy about that? This world is not your home. And because this world is not your home, because you're just a foreigner, because you are a citizen in another place, then the way you live your life is going to be different than the way people who call this world their home live. It's different. When the world sees a Christian, what they're seeing is they're seeing someone who's a little bit unusual. They're a stranger, which is a strange person. They're uncommon. That's, that's really the word. They're an uncommon person. They're an unusual person. And being unusual in our world is actually pretty unusual. Being uncommon in our world is very uncommon. Because most everybody does just about the same thing. Except for those who claim to know the Lord Jesus. And here is the biggest obstacle, and I want you to get this. If you're taking notes, we made the notes for you to follow along. If you're taking notes, understand this. Write this down in your heart. For most people, the biggest obstacle in becoming a follower of Christ is your desire to fit in. That's really your biggest obstacle. We all want to know and, and believe that Jesus died and gave his heart and, or gave his life for us. But the biggest obstacle of you accepting him as your Lord and Savior is you want to fit in in a world that is not your home. And because you want to do that, when you, when you desire to fit into a world that's not yours, those desires rule your life. They direct your decisions and it guides your behavior because you want to fit in. You want to be a part. But if you want to truly follow Jesus, what you're going to have to do is ask yourself this. And this is what Peter really gets to. I'm going to show you in this morning. You have to ask yourself this. Am I really okay being different? Am I okay with being unusual? Am I okay with living my life uncommon? That's what you have to determine in your heart. If you're going to follow Jesus, that's the, that's the only way that you're going to be able to follow Jesus of any measure. You have to be okay with being uncommon. God, God did not 
He did not call you. Christ did not call you and create you to fit into this world that you don't even belong. He called you and chose you to stand out in this world that you don't belong to. That's why God called us. He never called you to blend in and to just be a part of the world around you. He actually said, I want you to be, and here's the word, I want you to be holy, which means set apart. I want you to be uncommon. I want you to be different. I want you to be unusual because in this world, here are the things that you can understand. Brokenness is common. Deep hurts and emotional, people walking around with baggage in their life is common. Living stressed out and anxious all the time, worried about your future is common. Divorce is common. Being afraid to die is common. But you have been chosen to be a stranger in a land where you are not to be common. You are supposed to be uncommon. You are supposed to be unusual. You are supposed to be different. As a Christian who is chosen by God, a stranger in the world, you're called to this uncommon life that usually follows an unpopular path. Listen to what Jesus says. We're going to get to Peter in just a moment. I'm just priming the pump this morning. In Matthew chapter 7, listen, these are Jesus' words. He says, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You see, you can classify every person on the planet into two categories, the many and the few. There's just the many, and there's just the few. And the question today, and what we're going to look at today in Scripture, is... Will you live the common life, the life of the many? Or will you live live the uncommon, unusual, strange, different life, the life of the few that walk the narrow road, that enter through the narrow gate? Will you be a light in the dark world or will you just join the darkness around you? Robert Louis Stevenson, a writer in the 19th century, I've read a lot of his works. He wrote Treasure Island, a lot of different things. When he was a child, some of his his most impressionable years, he would sit in his room and he would look out the window in the mid-1800s, and as darkness would begin to settle over his little city, that little town in Scotland, he would look out and he would see the lamplighters, as they would go underneath the lamps and that they would light the the flames inside those lamps. And as he saw that, he watched a place that had no electricity, no light, nothing that was bright. As the lamps began to light up the streets, he wrote this, he said this statement, he said, I watched as the lamplighters began to punch holes in the darkness. And I read that and I thought, what an incredible inspiration to God's people. We are to be the lamplighters who punch holes in the darkness, who are uncommon enough to make a difference in the world around, not blending into everything, but being different enough to punch a hole in the darkness. How do you live in an unholy world as a follower of Jesus Christ? You have to live as an uncommon an uncommon life punching holes in the darkness peter introduced this this power these powerful truths chapter one and he says now that you know this it's going to have a noticeable effect on your life and what you do with this understanding that i have given you about being chosen being having an inheritance and maybe experiencing suffering this is what you do with it i want you to look in verse 13 first peter chapter one verse 13 here we go what do you do with all of this understanding that you've been chosen, that you are the elect, that you, have, that, that you have an inheritance? What are you going to do with this? He says, therefore, which means what? It means once you know this, this is what you do with it. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. 
For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. There's that word, strangers, again. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, so that your faith and hope are in God. Lord, I pray that you would take your word this morning and speak it clearly to our hearts. Challenge us, Lord. Open up our hearts and our minds that, Lord, today wouldn't just be another Sunday. Lord God, we would leave this place, Lord, with a pursuit of holiness to be uncommon in this world, to live differently, to talk differently, think differently than the world around us. Bless us and bless your word today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. So what kind of life does a Christian live? It's a good question. Should a Christian be different than the people around them? Should you look different than your co-workers that don't know the Lord or your classmates that you sit next to in class? Should you be different than the people who, who you see on TV, who have on the shows and the sitcoms or, or reality shows that have no, no desire or, or, or no link to God at all? They, 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 they have their own life, their own agenda, and they, they, they only dismiss the lord and dismiss the word of god should we be different yes we should absolutely be different we should be uncommon and so how do you do that how do you live uncommon how do you live unique and unusual in a very unholy world how do you live holy in a holy world in an unholy world how do you do it there's three things that i see in this passage i'm just going to bring to your attention really quick and the first one is this you have to it begins right here you have to prepare your mind you have to prepare your mind. In the scriptures, in that verse, when you look at the Greek, what the Greek really says is you gird up your mind. You gird up your mind. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, but it makes a lot of sense when you understand the time that it was written. You see, back in those days, the, the trendy fashion for, for guys was to wear a longer robe, a robe, and they would wear a belt around their waist. And if you got into a hurry and your robe was a little bit long and you didn't gird it up, you could trip. You'd fall flat on your face. A, 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 modern, a modern picture of it is when the bride shows up and she's walking and she gets at the bottom of the steps. As she goes to, to, to walk up the steps, what does she do? She grabs that big bride's dress and she picks it up because I have seen brides step on their dresses and tear half of it off. We went from a G-rated wedding to a mature wedding really quick. And she gird herself up. She pulled up her... That's exactly what this is talking about. You gird... They would... Men would take their belts. If they had to take off running, they would take their belts. They would hold their robe, tuck their robe in their belt, and they would be able to run and move, gird up themselves. Basically, the equivalent would be roll up the sleeves of your mind. Prepare your mind. If you're an uncommon person, if you're a follower of Jesus, prepare your mind. Get prepared so that nothing can trip you up. Get ready. Think about what you are doing. You need to think clearly. Can I just tell you, following Jesus is not not about coming in and turning your brain off and turning all of your emotions on. Following Christ is a full consuming wholeness of our life it's not just about our hearts it's about our minds as well you don't have to be ignorant and follow jesus some in the world think that that's the way it is oh you you you're simple-minded folks you just don't get it Uh, peter says prepare your mind and be self-controlled your subconscious governs about 89 percent of all of your actions Your subconscious 
drives you. It's just like what Proverbs 23 says. You know, I mean, it took all of these scientists to discover that, but Proverbs 23's had it there the whole time. As a man thinks, so is he. What you think and what you think about is what you will become. How you think is how you're going to behave. What you consider right is what you're going to do. You can walk in darkness in your mind, and if you do that, you'll walk in darkness in your life. That's the way your behavior will be. We spend so much time right now in, in our world. I, I watched this past week as they launched satellites into space, and SpaceX is doing all their things. We're trying to conquer. We're trying to conquer outer space when honestly, our society doesn't even know how to conquer the inner space. We're reaching for the stars when we can't even manage our own minds between our ears. It takes self-control. And as a Christian, it takes a lot of thought to follow Jesus. I want to say that again. Following Jesus is not a numb-minded proposition. You must challenge your thought processes because every else, everything else in the world that is common will challenge your mind and challenge your thinking. And if you do not have a good foundation, you will lose the battle between your ears, the battle of your mind. You do that because you prepare yourself by setting your hope. Look, that's what he says. He says, gird up your mind. Get prepared for action. You think through it. How many of you have thought through what would happen if you were in a situation that you had to stand up and defend Jesus, or maybe lose your life, or maybe lose your job, or maybe, I don't know, defend someone who was innocent, but you could lose your job by standing with them. Have you ever thought through those things? As a believer, that's what preparing your mind is. That's what being self-controlled is, is, is controlling every part of your mind. And then he says, you set your hope. We set our hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Everybody in this world has something that they've set their hope upon. Every student has their hope set upon graduation. We experienced that this week. I'm so happy. Every, every young person, every young lady may have their hope set upon that wedding day. Every uh, uh, worker has their hope set upon promotion. Every politician has their hope set upon election day. And every child of God, sons and daughters of God, have their hope set upon the coming of Jesus. That's where we set our hope. That's where my mind is. Because if you don't know the end that you're trying to achieve, you won't know how to live to get there. You have to know where you're going and what you're going to do to get there. You have to have a plan. You prepare your mind. The Bible says, prepare your mind. That's what he's saying. Peter says, prepare yourself. Prepare your minds. Be self-controlled. Set your hope right here. Set your hope on him. And then he says this. He goes on in verse 14. He tells us, how, this is how you live in an unholy world. You have to, then you shape your conduct. You see, your mind transforms and translates into what you do. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, do not conform to the evil desires that you had. Don't conform to the desires that you used to have. It, it involves both the positive and negative things that, that we think about in your life. Those desires that you used to have. How long has it been, Christian friend, that you have thought about what you used to be. What you used to do. Where you used to go on a Friday night. How you used to talk. Are you with me? Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes that used to person. That you used to be, he said, you used to be dead. You were doomed. You were a prisoner. You were in the bullseye of God's judgment. And guess what? 
He ransomed you. He redeemed you. He changed you. Those were all the things that you used to do. But when you met Jesus, something happened and you are not that dead. You have been redeemed. You are not that prisoner. You have been freed. You are not that person who is destined for judgment and the wrath of God. You are that child who is destined for inheritance and blessing. That's what you used to be. But now you're not that way anymore. Things used to, that we used to do, when we come to Jesus, we come to Him and we ask Him, God, we want to be different. Not the things that we used to do, the people we used to hang out with, the websites that we used to go to. I love verse 14 in the message translation. This is what it says. In the message it says, don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil. Doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. Don't slip back. Don't, don't the church, start, well, don't backslide into that old way of life, into that old groove, into that old rut, and just do whatever you felt like doing. Checking your mind out. And just doing whatever you felt like doing. Don't fall into that life. What does he say in verse 2? He says, be holy. Now let's just take a moment and discuss that word because it's a really churchy word, isn't it? How many of you used the word holy this week in a conversation? Outside of church. You did. Were you talking about holy genes? We don't use that word in modern vernacular very often in business. You know, if you're working a call center, if you're dealing with someone at the bank, or if you're, you know, teaching in class, or if you're a public school, you're probably not going to use a whole lot of that, that word very much to describe something that we're trying to describe. But in the Bible, it's the word hagios. It means to be set apart, to be different, to be pure, to be uncommon, separate. And when we say the word holy, a lot of things come to our mind. Let's just play that game real quick. When I say holy, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Well, you're in church, so you're all going to say, Jesus? Because that's the number one answer for everybody, right? In church, you can answer Jesus to every question. It gets you an A. When I say holy, what do you think of? Who said that? Who said, Jay? You got after class study, my friend. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's classic, my friend. I'm telling you. That's why I love this church, you know. It's just, I'm not afraid to just say it. It's a donut. Come on, Pastor. Man, it's a donut. When you say holy, what do you think of? Our mind does funny things when we think about holiness. Some people think of, of legalism, right? Some people think of those long shirts and, you know, white shirt, black, black pants, kind of like what I got right now. People that, you know, are just super strict and they, they never have any fun. They've always got a frown on their face, you know. Some people think of holiness as something that's never going to be achieved, that I'm just way too perfect. Can I just tell you, this is the great sermon for you, because if you're, if you're, if you're perfect, you're, this, is not, this, is not, this is not a good scripture for you. Because there's nobody in this room that could probably fit that. We go a lot of different directions. We think of the word holy, but the Bible says that holiness is an essential part of the character of God. When Isaiah had a vision in heaven and he saw the angels surrounding the throne worshiping the Lord, they were singing this song. They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You know what's unique about that? They weren't saying, merciful, 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 loving, 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 gracious, gracious, gracious. They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And we forget about that. I'll tell you why. Let me just preach for a moment. There has been a cultural misinterpretation. I believe it's been intentional. Remember what I said at the beginning? The reason why that a lot of people struggle in their Christian life is because they have a great desire to fit in. You're not of this world, but yet you want to fit into this world. 
So there's just been, been this intentional misinterpretation so that the angels that Isaiah saw, they're not saying holy, holy. They're saying loving, loving, loving. All forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. We miss that holy part because our culture has done this. We have replaced really the word holiness with happiness. Let me read verse 15 with, that, with this cultural theology that we have been given to us in our world. In modern, modern interpretation of the Scripture would say this, Just as he who called you is happy, so be happy in all that you do, for it is written... Be happy because I am happy. That is is the interpretation of the world today. Many people, they wrongly believe that God's highest calling in in, in, in eternity is to make you happy. God's highest calling, friends, is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy and set apart. God does not want you to be happy in a world that is not yours to be happy in. You say, Pastor, come on, we're supposed to be glum? No, you're supposed to be uncommon. You're supposed to be holy. You are the standout. You're the light in a dark world. Don't join the darkness. Be holy. Be a part of it. Be apart from it. God doesn't want to make you happy. He wants to make you holy. This whole theology of happiness that God wants me to be happy has two life and has a couple life destroying dangers. Number one is it justifies personal or it empowers personal justification. You say, what? When you think that God's whole goal is to make you happy, it empowers personal justification. Here's what that sounds like. Well, since I'm not happy, then I guess I'll go do something that will make me happy. Since I'm not happy in my marriage, I'll just go find me one that will make me happy. I'm just preaching. If I'm not happy and I want this thing and I can't afford it, then I'm just going to go get it anyway because if I have it, it'll make me happy. If I'm dating somebody right now and we're in love, we can be together, then we'll just pretend that we're married because it'll make us happy. Just preaching. When you accept this theology of happiness, then instead of holy, 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 it's happy, happy, happy are you. When you accept that, what it does is it empowers personal justification in your own life. And you can justify everything you do by how you feel, whether you're happy or sad. We live in a world that that's what they do. This common world, it's common to do that. I don't feel, how I feel determines what I'm going to do. It's a a common way. But God has called us to be uncommon. He's not called us to to this happiness, happy song. He's called us to holiness, to stand out, to be different, to be uncommon. A second danger, and here's what I want you to get on this. A second danger of accepting this whole theology of happiness is that you begin to believe that God exists to serve you. God does not exist, my friends, as your cosmic genie. He's not the blue Robin Williams just waiting around in your house for you to call him out of the closet or or to rub the lamp. That's not who my great, awesome, powerful creator God is. Don't insult him in my presence by thinking that you can just rub on some kind of lamp or or throw some kind of prayer and hope that he's supposed to come make you happy. That's not his job. That is the God of the universe. You do not demand anything of him. He is a great and powerful God who only by his grace you even have breath in your lungs, my friends. Lord, help us return to that sacredness where we see God as He is and not what we have created Him to be. 
He is a fearful thing. Person. Excuse me. He is a he, he should be feared above all because he could wipe us out if he ever wanted to. With a snap, it would be over what? God does not serve us. When we believe God wants to make us happy above all else, then here's what we do in our life. Any type of discomfort, any type of delay, any type of risk, any type of suffering, any type of trial that we go through, we just immediately conclude it's not God's will. So God can use tough things because God's supposed to make us happy. He's supposed to serve me, make my life always better. But when my life is not better, then God must be not doing his job. He's failed. We begin to doubt him. Oh, it can destroy your faith, my friends. God is, is, is greater than that. When you, when you begin to do that, you begin to worship things like comfort. You begin to worship things like money. You begin to worship pleasure. You begin to worship things that just make you happy. And you transform your life of following Jesus, saying, I've decided to follow him no matter what. You turn that into, I'll, dis- I'll follow Jesus as long as things are going my way. So many people in our culture today they have walked away from faith they have done what verse 14 said they just slipped out they backslid because they misinterpreted god wanting us to be holy to god making us happy how does this change we're in a dilemma because this has to be changed today it has to be changed in the church in the thinking of God's people, in the thinking of the churches. There are, there are thousands and tens of thousands of people in the church today, going to church today, who believe this, that God just wants them to be happy. That it's not about being holy, that God's purpose is to make them happy. The only way that this is going to, it's not going to change, friends, if you just go sit in the class. I can't, I can't say, hey, we're going to have a holy class. I'm going to teach you how to be holy. About 50 or 60 years ago, they tried that. It doesn't work. We're not going to be able to get you to memorize enough things. You can't, you can't just sit your kids down and say, okay, kids, I'm, we're, going to have, we're going to teach you to be holy. I want you to listen to me. I've got three incredible children, three great kids. And I hear you saying amen, and that makes me proud. I, I, I thank you for that. Can I just tell you, I can't take credit. Shannon can take credit. No. We can't take credit. Here's the thing. I, I hear this. You've got great kids, and I, I appreciate that, and I really do. They're, they're good kids. They're following the Lord. They're doing their best. They're not perfect. Trust me, they're not perfect. But this is what we pray. This is what Shannon and I pray. We pray this. Lord, help them to always follow Jesus. And Lord, give them the courage to live differently. That's our prayer for my kids. That's it. Let them always follow you. And then, oh God, in this culture that is so dark, that is so conforming, that tries to force everybody into one belief, this ungodliness. Give them the courage and the strength and heart to live different and to stand when they have to stand. God, give them that strength. That's my prayer for my children. That's your prayer. That should be your prayer for your kids. You have to just teach them, say, I'm not cool, and it's okay, because Jesus loves me anyway. When you follow Jesus, can I just tell you, this is a public service announcement, you will not always be the coolest dude in the room. You will absolutely not. When people find out, I think I said this a few weeks ago, when people find out, I don't tell people I'm a pastor, because if they find out I'm a pastor, either number one, they ignore me, or number two, they just dump on me. So it's one or the other. That I'm there for the confessional or don't talk to him. And you have to learn to stand. You have to be different. Here's, here's what I want you to catch. Is that early on, and Shannon and I, as we raised our children, 
we modeled in front of them what holiness and uncommon living look like. We showed them what living a life for the Lord looked like. Now, have we always been perfect? Absolutely not. But if you're a perfect person or a perfect parent in this room, I would love to visit with you after church. I want to know the secret. The bottom line is this, is you can't expect to raise kids who are uncommon if you're not. I notice this in verse 15. He says, and be holy in all your conduct. Look at that in verse 15. Put that up there, Juanita. In all your conduct. Jesus shouldn't just be a tourist passing through your life. He should be a permanent resident. He should be in everything that you do. He's God in the classroom. He's God in the boardroom. He's God in the cubicle you work in. He's God in the car that when you're with your guys. He's God in the living room. He's God in the bedroom. He's God everywhere. In all that you do, in all your conduct, be holy because the world doesn't understand holiness. The world doesn't understand uncommon living. You have to show them. We had to show our children what uncommon living looks like. You want to see God? Watch how I live. That's what Paul said. You tell your son, son, you want to see how to live for the Lord? I don't know all the ins and outs. I can't teach you all these classes, but if you'll watch my life, I can show you what it's like to stand before God. Here's something that the Lord gave me this couple of weeks ago. I shared it with the staff, and I said, I said, I know this is coming. I said, I'm going to preach this at some point. And here's a little phrase I want you to remember. The world doesn't need another Christian motto. It needs Christian models. I'm done with these mottos, these little cliches. It's unbearable. These little 25-word posts on your Twitter and Facebook, come on. I hope your relationship is deeper than those. Half the time, they're not even theologically bearing weight. So stop with the mottos and start being a model in front of the people that live with you. In front of your children. Start being a model in front of your coworkers. Start being a model for the students in your classroom that don't know Jesus. Start being the model, not the motto. Don't give them another motto. We don't need mottos. We need models in the church will stand up and declare this is what watch me watch me your friends don't need to see your sermon notes on paper they need to see your sermon notes written on every day of your life as you walk out and you live it he says be holy because i'm holy look in my likeness be like me i am the son of ron metter but i bear another name i bear a name of another father of of, of one who is who is who is far beyond this world and when people look at me, they may see the face that may reflect my earthly father, Ron. I may have some of his characteristics, his eyes or his nose. But there is another characteristic that people are examining as they look at my life. They're saying, you know what? He looks like his other father. He looks like someone that I have seen before, that I have felt before. I can see his life. I can see how he does it. I see how he talks. He resembles another father. That's what we have to do. We have to model what God is. And if we can't do that, friends, listen, if you can't live that out, stop giving God lip service. Alexander the Great, before he took over the kingdom, the story goes like this, is there was a young man in his army that they caught for deserting and running away. They captured him, they brought him before the general Alexander the Great. And Alexander asked him, he said, what is your name? He said, my name, sir, is Alexander. He said, I'm going to give you two options. He said, either you change your name or you start living up to your name. Because it's my name. God is saying the same thing to us. Either change your name. Stop with the lip service, stop with the talk, or live up to what the name represents. If you are a Christian, then be a Christ follower. 
Show people and show the world. Punch holes in the darkness with Jesus in your life. Show the light. Let it glow all around you and allow the Holy Spirit to have that effect in your life. Let me close with this. This last one is to reinforce your, commit, your convictions. In verse 18, the first three words says this, for you know, for you know. Now, knowing is different than believing. Knowing is different than thinking or doing. Knowing is the foundation of all of our beliefs. Knowing something produces beliefs, and those beliefs produce convictions. Now, I will just tell you this. Even in the church, there's a lot of people who don't have a whole lot of convictions. What they have are preferences and opinions. Because you can watch how they live. And they can say one thing and they can do another. Because it's just a preference. And everything changes according to the crowd that they're around. Why? Because they want to fit in so bad. They're not concerned about being uncommon in a very common world or an unholy place, concerned about being holy in an unholy world. All they want to do is fit in, and so their preferences rule their life. It's just an opinion. When I'm with my school bros, I act like they do, but when I'm with my church bros, I act like they do. And it's just a preference. There's no conviction. There's no true, real commitment in their life. But a stable believer in Jesus has convictions because they know what they have been given. You know. Most people fall away from the Lord because they never formulate, they never reinforce those convictions that they have in their heart. And you see this because how many times have you seen someone slip into sin? Well, we see that often. But how many times have you seen someone slip into righteousness? You seen anybody trip up into righteousness? Whoa, I got holy. How did that happen? I accidentally woke up holy today. You see, the enemy is subtle, and what he does is he doesn't come to you and say, hey, I want you to follow me. I want you to be a Satanist. I want you to start sacrificing chickens in your backyard. That's not going to happen. But what he does do is he works subtly behind the scene, and he tempts us. He tempts you in two ways. He'll, he'll do this first. He'll do exactly, he'll, he'll go back to his old game plan that he used all the way back in the garden. He'll say this to you. He'll say, now, did God really say? That was, that was, that was the quote from what he said to Eve. And she said, did God really say not to eat of that tree? Are you sure that's what he said? And what happens is the enemy tries to get you to question your beliefs and your faith. The enemy tries to get you to question the book. That's very black and white in so many places. And yet in our culture today, we have to try to argue it. And we try to split and splice words. We, we have to do word surgery and redefine words because we have to say, now, does that really mean that? Did God really say to live that way? Did God really say that you shouldn't do that? Are you sure? Maybe, in, maybe with exceptions. Maybe there's some exceptions. That's the subtle attack of the enemy. Another way the enemy comes is he says this. Well, hey, you're better than a, than a lot of the other folks. So go ahead. I mean, you're, you're doing better than them. I mean, look at that. What a wreck. What a train wreck. So just go ahead. I mean, you're, you're okay. The problem with that is, is that a lot of people are not your standard. Jesus is your standard. He's not your, they aren't your measuring stick. He's your measuring stick. Holiness matters, friends. It matters because, number one, it's written, as verse 16 says. Number two, in that there is a fear of judgment. If you don't, if you don't believe that, look at verse 17. You, the Father is going to judge each man's work impartially. He's going to look at your life impartially. Every person in this room will stand before God one day. And you're either going to see him as a judge or you're see, going to see him as a welcomer into his kingdom. Because Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Living for Christ is not about behavior modification. Living for Christ is about spiritual transformation. And here's the good news. 
When you try to live a holy life, that isn't the path to knowing Jesus. It's just the opposite. Knowing Jesus is the path to living holy. When you know Him and you've committed to Him and your convictions are deep within you and you're saying, I am going to follow Him no matter what. Even if I'm happy or even if I'm sad, I'm going to follow. When you have that attitude and you're settled in your mind, then what happens is you begin to not desire the things. You don't want to be common anymore. You don't want all that extra stuff. You say, you know, my life is different. That's not, that's just not how I roll anymore. It's not me. You're not of this world. And God's called you to punch holes in the darkness. So don't join the darkness. Stand out of the darkness. Be set apart. Be different. Be holy as he has called us to be holy. Let's bow our heads this morning. As I pray today, I want to ask a few questions just with your heads bowed and everybody's eyes are closed. I want to ask you this question. Can I just ask, what what are some areas in your life that you're trying the most to just fit in? You're trying to just just fit in. I just want to be I want to be like everybody else. What are those areas in your life that you that you do that? What's the what's the biggest way that you are different in the world? If someone accused you of of being a Christian, is there enough evidence to prove you guilty? In what area does the Lord want you to be different, uncommon? What is it? Where is it? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask, you say, Pastor, would you, would you pray for me? Because there are some things in my life that I am just like the world, and I know they need to change. And I want to pray with you, and I want to ask you to make a commitment today. I'm going to ask you to change, first of all, begin to make the change in your mind that that is not what God has called me to do. And then I'm going to ask you to begin to change how you live and then make that a conviction in your heart. And here's how I know you can, because the Bible says that it wasn't with silver or gold that he's redeemed you from, from listen to this, an empty way of life is what it says. Peter says that was an empty way of life. I went fishing Monday through Friday, Caught what I could, lived life, did my whole thing on the weekend, and then started it all over again. It was a monotonous cycle, just an empty way of life. I got nothing out of it. But when I met Jesus, he redeemed me with the blood. Heaven's most precious gift. You can do it. You can live an uncommon life because the blood of Jesus is very, very uncommon. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to make some changes in my life. I, I, have, I have allowed myself to just look just like the world, and I don't, that's not what God's called me to. If you're here this morning, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? Anybody in the room? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Come on, raise your hand. Nothing to be ashamed of. Nobody's perfect in this room. You don't have to be feel condemned. Hey, you're just, you're just admitting the reality. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're just admitting the truth of what really is. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. I want us all to stand right now. Let's stand as we pray. If you say, Pastor, I raised my hand. There's some things that I've got going on in my life. I know they're not right. I know they're wrong. They're wrong. Specifically, they're wrong. I know it. I feel conviction about it in my heart right now. Would you just pray to the Lord right now and just say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? That's what it is. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is the separating factor of saying, you know, look, it just, it's not what God wants. It's not, it's the imperfect plan that God, God doesn't want for my life. That's what sin is. It's not his design. Lord, would you forgive me of my sin and bring me back into that relationship? Bring me back into the fellowship with you. 
if you know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, say, Lord, start a relationship. I want to start that relationship with you. I want to be different than the world. I don't want to be just like all the other chaos, crazy things that go on. I want to be different. I want to be unique, uncommon. The Lord will help you. So pray with me and pray that prayer. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for the beauty that you've given us outside and the beauty of your word, the worship, the Lord Jesus. It's just been a phenomenal morning. And Lord, I pray that, God, the most important thing, Lord, would be what would occur right now. Lord, as those who raise their hands, Lord, they would, in their own words, that they would ask you to forgive them, Lord God, of their sin. The things that separating them, Lord, the things that the desires of their heart, the things that, Lord, cause them to just bleed, blend into the rest of the world and look no different than anybody else around them. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help them deal with those things. Help them to become uncommon, to follow you, because, Lord, let, let them realize this world is not their home. You can spend all of your life gaining all of the things that you can gain, but you won't take one thing with you. Lord, I pray that, God, that you drill that down in our hearts. Let there be a deep conviction. That as we sing that song, I've decided to follow you. No turning back. I will, I will follow you to the end, Lord. So, Lord, resolve in our own minds, Lord, that we are not just to be happy, but, Lord, we're to be holy. Let this church, Lord God, be a church, Lord, that's recognized that we resemble you, not the culture around us. It's okay, Lord, for us to be different, to be unusual, to be uncommon. Lord, that's your call to your people who, Lord, don't have citizenship in this world. Bless us as we go today. Wrap your arms around us, Lord. Those who are hurting, Lord, those who are disturbed in their spirit, who are anxious about things, Lord, let, them, let that peace that passes understanding just calm them right now. The minds, Lord, their fears, just calm them in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, may we leave this place with joy unspeakable and full of glory, just overflow in our hearts. And we'll give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030. 